You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today is PFF Day. It's unfortunately going to be another rather depressing PFF Day with a couple minor highlights. Long story short, it's kind of... It doesn't change much. It just gives specifics and a little bit more of an oh no because of, you know, who is not grading out very well. But the general theme that we got from yesterday, although obviously yesterday on this podcast, I spent a lot of time saying, let's, you know, at least be grateful for where we are. Um, the the more, I don't know, zoomed in view of what happened on Sunday was they won, but it wasn't good enough. The players, and, and in fact, it was almost a little weird to have an entire locker room basically say that kind of stunk right usually it's kind of unspoken right the fans say it the media maybe kind of generally kind of tries to pry a player like so uh what do you think about that one there chief good or 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 maybe maybe not and then they give some vague answer or snap back about oh did we win you seen the scoreboard bruh maybe you haven't seen our record but there was pretty close to none of that. It was all, well, that that was terrible, and we're not happy. Apparently report, uh, reports that Matt LaFleur did not even celebrate the win or the fact that he broke the 10-win record. He just marched straight upstairs and went to go watch film. And um, I think the real unfortunate thing is I don't, you know, what, what do I know? But I just, I'm to the point where I kind of feel like watching film isn't going to fix anything. Because I don't honestly know if Matt LaFleur is the problem. Maybe he is. Maybe the system just isn't really working. And and look, real quick, this is a Mike McCarthy team in a Matt LaFleur offense, or Matt LaFleur trying to find a way to take a Mike McCarthy team and blend that into a Kyle shanahan offense. And it's a really hard kind of a thing to mix and match and figure out. He's really trying to make this slow developing thing work, and it's not working too well. Right, The outside zone run, which was the staple of the offense, has pretty much been all but scrapped. They just don't do it. They gave up because the offensive line can't block. And the running backs aren't, I mean, I don't know what they can do because I haven't seen them have any opportunities to do anything but get hit behind the line of scrimmage when they try to run outside zone. So that's scrapped. So now we got to figure out how to have slow developing plays on, like, play action, which is entirely different, and it's basically Aaron Rodgers faking a handoff and just standing around waiting. And, and you know, I don't know. And again, similar to what I said last year, Matt Lafleur needs his opportunity to go to Goot and just say, "Look, here's the offense I want to run. I can't do it because of him, 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 and I need this. This guard ain't cutting it because he can't do this. Our center needs to be able to do this, and he can't." I need a wide receiver who can do this. We don't have that. I could use any kind of a tight end. And by that, I don't mean I can use anybody that is a tight end. I mean, give me somebody that is actually a tight end. These are the things that I need to run my offense properly. 
Again, none of this has anything to do with 2019, which is somewhat unfortunate, but I, I kind of think it's it's where we're at now. And, you know, that's kind of the point of the whole watch the film thing, because Matt LaFleur is still trying to figure out a way to make this thing work. And, um, I mean, there's been success, but there's also been a lot of not success. And the fact of the matter is this game was relatively, as far as the grades and everything, similar, probably most similar to the 49ers and Chargers game. The only difference is the team on the other side was the Washington Redskins, and that's the only reason we got a W. I think if this was the Eagles, if this was the the Chargers, if this was the 49ers, if this was, you know, the Bears or the Vikings or a lot of other teams, we probably would have lost the game. Pretty much any team but the Giants and the Redskins, we would have lost this game just based on what they were able to actually do. And, I, you know, I don't want to be overly dramatic. We're still a 10-win team, still capable of beating a lot of other teams, you know, get into the playoffs and we're at home. Some of these other teams are not all that great, especially when they're on the road. Minnesota's not that great on the road. Uh, the Saints are not good on the road. I mean, they're not bad, but compared to at home, completely different story. However, just kind of reading the tea leaves, it's starting to have a 2018 feel to it. And I know that some, it's going to set people off. We're 10-2, man! How could it be 2018? Because I'm not talking about the record. I'm talking about a team that's just standing around saying, I don't know what the problem is. That's exactly what 2018 was. When there's a lot of bad stuff, and yeah, we've won a bunch. But if you look at most recently, there was the char- since the Chargers. The Chargers game was just horrible, and it was supposed to be this giant wake-up call. Then we beat the Panthers. That was a pretty good game. Then we have a bye week. We come out and get absolutely obliterated by the 49ers. And again, it's sort of that, I don't know what happened, kind of bad. we got to figure it out. Hopefully there's a wake-up call. Then we play the Giants, and yeah, I mean, it was a good game, but not, you know, a lot of people were upset by not being as good as you would hope. The score was great. 31-13 to is incredible, but it still just felt, I don't know. And then the Redskins game happened, and it's definitely a feeling of, man, that just not not good. And and to be completely honest, we're coming into a Bears game where if the offense plays like it does against against Washington, I'm not positive they win this game because the Bears' defense is going to be really hard to overcome. And we're not going to be starting every single drive at the 50-yard line like we did against the Washington Redskins. And... Say what you want about Mitchell Trubisky, he's getting into a rhythm. And the Bears are now starting to fight through this whole we're a terrible team thing. And they're coming out on the other side with Mitch Trubisky. I'm not saying he's elite, but I can say two things. One, he's a lot better than he was the first half of the year or ever in his career. Two, over the last few weeks, he's been better playing better than Aaron Rodgers, which most quarterbacks have, which we'll be getting into. So, you know... Again, it's the, the 2018 vibe of I feel very optimistic about the trajectory of the team, but I kind of feel like they hit a roadblock. They did hit a roadblock. The question is, can they get over this hump? And I don't know what the answer is. And, and again, just looking at 2018, it has that kind of a vibe to it because we saw the roadblock November 3rd against the Chargers. November 4th, they wake up and say, we have to find a solution. It is now December 10th. Five weeks later, and we're sitting here going, mm, I don't know. Now, we're fortunate enough to be going against the Bears and the Lions, who are not very good teams. However, the Bears are on this war path to try to win win out, right? You know, they made this big declaration, which I don't think they're going to do because they have a very tough schedule. However, you know, might be able to beat the Packers. I don't know. The Vikings, I don't feel very good about at all. 
And the Lions have been terrible, but they haven't had Matt Stafford, who's been having actually a fantastic year, but he's been injured. He comes back, and they come back with one goal in mind, um, finish the year by destroying the Packers and just kick them while they're down because we're frustrated and we hate the Packers. And by that point, if the Packers lose to the Bears and the Vikings, they're completely down in the gutter, and we could have two years in a row where we end the year by getting stomped out by the Lions. Again, this is entirely pessimistic view. I'm just... I'm just saying, if there isn't a solution, if LaFleur marches up to his room, up to that room to study film, and comes up to the same conclusion as he did before, um, these were the right calls, and the guys couldn't execute. And I mean, what can we expect in a week anyways? Is he going to rewrite the whole playbook? All right, scrap that whole last year. New offensive system. Ready? Here's what we're going to do. No, I mean, this This is what we are, you know. These are our plays. This is what we do, and it's just a matter of game plan. We're going to maybe call a little bit more of these plays instead of those plays, but this is the offensive system. And what we need is to find that rhythm that we had, you know, against the Panthers, whatever, as opposed to what's been happening the last, I don't know, three, four weeks out of five. And, and to be ultra-specific because it, it's overly dire right now. And again, I'm not saying specifically that I know this 100%. I'm just saying it, it has a feel to it, and I'm, I'm just exploring this feeling I'm having. It could go the completely opposite direction. Packers win the Super Bowl, good to go. But let me also be very specific. The run game has been extremely potent. Sometimes it isn't, right? Aaron Jones has had just completely nothing games. But more often than not, it's unbelievably potent. The defense has shown to be incredibly impressive at times. I thought they did a good job against Washington. Now, PFF didn't super agree. They said it was okay, but, you know, it's great to see Kenny getting a lot more pressures. Zadarius has never let up, not even once. Getting picks, getting all, you know, it's good stuff. The biggest thing that just absolutely is not working even a little bit is the passing game. Quarterback, wide receiver, tight end. Running back, fullback. The ability to throw the football and get into some kind of a rhythm. It's just, just not happening. So, I, you know, that's that's where we're at. And unfortunately, they have to figure out a way to do that against the Bears defense and then the Vikings defense. The Lions defense, very doable. But the Bears and the Vikings, not the easiest thing in the world. they got to figure it out. Because right now, underperforming is, is a, uh, a massive understatement. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae, I mean, we could look at it and say, well, what do you expect from Marquez, Alan Lazard, whatever... You shouldn't expect anything from Geronimo Allison, which if you've been listening a while, you know I don't. But I do have high expectations for Aaron Rodgers, and I do have high expectations for Devontae Adams. And for whatever reason, for the last several weeks, just has not been working. Just hasn't. So, anyways, let's take a break, and we'll go over what PFF had to say about the players. And, um, I don't know, we'll leave it at that, I guess. Alright, folks, you already know what time it is. It's another day, and it's time for you to buy another ticket to something. Yeah, I know you bought one yesterday and the day before because you do exactly what I tell you when I tell you to do it. It's why you listen to the show, because you're just lost without me, and that's fine. And I understand you're running out of tickets to buy. But I assure you, if you pull out your phone, download the Vivid Seats app, which assuming, I mean, obviously you've already done that, open it up, you're going to find all kinds of awesome things in there. Got uh, Milwaukee Bucks coming up. Got Fairbanks Ice Dogs in Janesville. I don't know what that is, but it sounds amazing. Women's basketball, right on down the street. Y'all know I love women's basketball. Huge fan. Ooh, women's volleyball regional semifinals. Wisconsin versus Texas A&M. 
followed by Nebraska-Hawaii. So, I mean, I like Hawaii. I, I don't know. I've never been there, but sounds nice. Maybe I'll hop on their bus and they'll take me back home with them. I mean, not to their home. I mean, to Hawaii. I'm not, I don't want to go to their house. Relax. But, I mean, you know, it's possible. Because anything is possible through the Vivid Seats app. So make sure you download the app. And when you're ready to purchase, if you're a first-time user, enter promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100. So check it out. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so I'm going to try to get the bad news out of the way first, although it's, you know, pretty much all bad news for the most part. But again, the, the passing game is the biggest problem and um if you have been on twitter um i think it's ben fennel he's been looking at some of the films some of the tape he said this is the worst game he's ever seen aaron Rodgers play now pff somewhat disagrees insofar as this is the worst game he's seen or they've seen because as i mentioned the game against san francisco was as far as pff grades go the worst grade they've ever given aaron Rodgers in his entire career since he's been a starter the only other game he had a worse grade was when he came in for half a game for Aaron Rodgers against the Patriots, or for Brett Favre, I mean. That was his worst game as a starter ever. This past game is the worst game that they've seen from Aaron Rodgers since week 17 of last year when the Packers got whooped by Detroit. And it was basically the exact same grade, just to give you an idea of how bad this was. Now, on the positive side, I mean, I, I can go back and find all kinds of uh, bad games from Aaron Rodgers. And, and even, you know, 2016, which was, I mean, that was a pretty good year. Aaron Rodgers had a 91.4 overall grade. He had two games that year in the 40s. This was a game in the 50s. So, it, I mean, it happens. 2014 was, you know, I mean, as far as PFF is concerned, um, one of Aaron Rodgers' best years, arguably his best year, maybe even the team's best year. I know it didn't feel that way because it wasn't, you know, we didn't win a Super Bowl and it wasn't 15-1. and one, But as far as just being a good overall team, 2014 might have been it. Um he had one game against Buffalo, 56.8. Higher than this game, but not by a ton, right? 56 compared to, I don't know, what was it, 51? I don't know if I even said it, but that's about what it was. So bad days happen. It's not the end of the world. But, I mean, I think the obvious glaring thing that's most troubling is, I mean, it's the second time this has happened in three weeks, and he hasn't had a game even in the 80s since week seven which is kind of when things kind of started going downhill. And to add to the conspiracy theories, um, for those that like to roll their eyes real hard, since Devontae's been back, Aaron Rodgers' best games this year came in weeks 6 and 7. Devontae didn't play in weeks 6 and 7. Now, granted, you know, 
there were weeks when Devontae didn't play, that Aaron Rodgers didn't play all that well either. But I guess the biggest difference between those years when he's been, you know, bad at times and this year is the fact that this year there's really only been two good games against Detroit and against Oakland. Other than that, it's been, you know, I mean, good, 70s, a bunch of average. And now we've got three games that are below average in the 50s, week one against Chicago, week 14 against Washington, and then the San Francisco game, which is the worst we've seen ever. And the biggest problem, I think, with Washington as opposed to San Francisco, San Francisco was a stifling defense that the offense just couldn't overcome, which is frustrating because it puts a limit on the offense saying, okay, this is as good as it gets. We can't beat a team like that, which whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that's sort of the the message being displayed. This is just an offense that just doesn't work. There's no friction. I mean, the Washington defense is still an NFL defense, but it's it's not something you look at and go, well, that's what you expect from a defense like Washington's, obviously. This is, this is what happens in a vacuum. This was no real issue, just let's see what this offense can do, and it just couldn't do anything. Now, to be entirely specific, let me tell you, um, again, the passing game is the issue. The offense had um, one elite grade, one very good grade, and two good grades. So four players out of 20 were good. The rest were average or worse, and most were average. Only six players out of 20 were below average or worse, five of those six being below average. Only one player was very bad, and it's a player that I am borderline about to give up on. But let me read to you the five players who are below average or worse, starting with the worst, so you know who was in the 30s. That would be Mr. Danny Vitale. The guy has been really, really bad for a really long time. The next worst would be Aaron Rodgers, Geronimo Allison, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jay Sternberger, and then Alan Lazard. Those were the five worst players on the team. Excuse me, the six worst players. All of them below average. Three wide receivers, a tight end, a quarterback, and a basically receiving fullback. I don't know. I mean, you know, our, our athletic fullback. It's maybe not the... I'm pushing a little too hard on the receiving thing. But you get it, right? That's not good, man. To make matters even worse, Devontae and Kumaro were not on that list, but, but both of them were very low average grades. Devontae... Having a 62.8 is also not great. It happens, right? Just telling the same story here. Devontae occasionally will have days that aren't super elite. But again, the, the problem isn't that he had a bad day. The problem is he hasn't had a good day since Carolina. He's only had one since he's come back from injury. Maybe this injury is causing more problems than, than we're, we know because in the first four weeks, he had three really solid games and was, was graded as like the second or third best wide receiver in football. Since coming back from injury, he's had four average games and one very good game. Four average games. And, and it you know, I had said maybe it's not the offensive scheme. Maybe it is. Maybe there's been some tweaks made that after this bye week that just aren't really playing out very well. Because not being able to get Devontae involved is kind of silly to me. And we can't. Again, Devontae has been relegated to screen passes and quick little outs to convert a third down. And an occasional, you know, throw to him when he's blanket covered down the field and just completely miss him. There's also that play, which, you know, isn't really a play, but we try it sometimes. So so, so it's, it's good news, bad news. The bad news is something is very wrong, and it doesn't seem like the Packers and, and Matt LaFleur seem to have a real big answer. The good news is that the problem is really just one problem, and it's fixable because we have a very good quarterback and at least one very good wide receiver, and we've got guys like Alan Lazard, Jay Kumaro, you know, even Marquez and Geronimo, who people are pretty much giving up on. But we've seen at times they can step up and do stuff. 
It's a matter of, let's try to figure out how to make this work. The question is, can they? And can you, while we still have a running game, and while we still have a competent offensive line, and while we still have a competent defense, can we figure out how to make the passing game work? Something Matt LaFleur should be very good at doing. Aaron Rodgers should be good at. Devontae should be good at. These guys should be pretty good at throwing the ball, and they're not, which is why teams line up and just try to take away the run, which is the most frustrating and angering thing in the world because everybody since forever has been talking about Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. And the fact of the matter is since 2015, only thing anybody's ever tried to do is take away the run from the Packers. Nobody has been scared of Aaron Rodgers in the passing attack since 2014. That's the dirty little secret about this team that nobody talks about. Nobody cares. Nobody's scared. They're going to load up the box and try to take away um, Aaron Jones. And yeah, I know on occasion they'll drop eight or whatever, especially in third down when they know it's a passing situation. But, but what are they scared of? Because even when we have the matchup, we don't win. That's why you get all these crazy, I mentioned that before, we get all these crazy passes because you got Devontae on like a linebacker or something dumb, and it's like that's where the ball's going to go because they're baiting us into throwing in these situations, and we can't make the throw. He can't get open. Aaron Rodgers can't get the ball to him, whatever the problem is, and we have to punt because even though we have the optimal lineup, we can't win, beat the guy in front of you. Ben Fennell, I hope I'm citing the right guy, but he he went on a tirade about this was the worst he's ever seen from Aaron Rodgers, and he showed one example. I think it was a bad example because the pocket collapsed instantly, but you still see he's open, he's open, he's open. And you got to wonder, and I know, again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy, a couple bucks from each of you, and I will tell my boss to have a nice life, but I got film to watch, just saying. But I'd be willing to bet that wasn't the only time. Now, I also know the opposite is true because we saw it when they did the replays because that's all the announcers were saying all day long. The receivers aren't getting open. The receivers aren't getting it open. And they would show after many of these passes, here's where this guy, the route he ran, and he just basically runs in a straight line into the guy and then stops and stands there like, well, I did my job. I don't know what you want from me. So I, you know, and and again, that that doesn't change from week to week. So why is it going to change next week against the Bears? Why it doesn't change, I don't know. Why, Why hasn't it? It can change, but I don't know why it would because, again, it hasn't. So the worst performers on offense were everybody that threw the ball. Um, Robert Tanyan, even with that touchdown, he still graded out his average. Everybody was pretty much average. The guys who were above average, number one, this is fourth from the top, David Bakhtiari, very, very, very good pass blocking grade. The reason he only graded out as a 72 with a quote-unquote good grade is because he's such a terrible run blocker, and he really is bad. And that's that's going to be frustrating for and I was contemplating this, too, because uh, I've got two different Bears interviews coming up, so I'm trying to like think more fundamentally as opposed to super in-depth like I'm trying to do now because I do this every day. And anyways, I, I went down this rabbit trail trying to think, what do the Packers want to do to change this? One thing I think Matt LaFleur would love is an offensive line that runs the system he wants. The problem is you don't want to get rid of David. You can't get rid of David Bakhtiari. You don't want to get rid of Brian Balaga. You just paid Billy Turner a ton of money, which I got to look at that contract and see how much it's going to hurt to get out of it because this just isn't working. Corey Lindsley, I think, makes a good amount of sense, but it's just one guy. Elton Jenkins isn't going anywhere. So what, we, we move on from one guy? That doesn't fix the offensive line. You still got guys that can't run your system. You got road grader Ryan, Brian Balaga. You got purely pass rusher David Bakhtiari. How do you run a system based on running if none of your guys can run block? How does that work? It doesn't work. That's the answer to the question. It doesn't work. That's a problem. And so maybe you do have to make tough decisions on guys like Brian Balaga. 
Although Brian Balaga is the one, in fact, let's continue on. He's the one guy that's a shining star as far as run blocking. So maybe he's, maybe he's working. But again, you can't get rid of David Bakhtiari, but the guy cannot run block to save his life. And as much as everybody said, well, that doesn't matter. Of course it matters. I mean, you got Matt LaFleur bragging up wide receivers because of their run blocking ability. It matters in this offense. We have to be able to run the ball or nothing works. We can't run the ball the way he wants to run the ball. And I know Aaron Jones just ran all over for 200 yards. That's great. But number one, it was the Redskins. And number two, this isn't the way he wants to run the ball anyways. And again, you got guys along this offensive line that just aren't good at it. Bakhtiari right now is the fourth highest graded pass blocker in football. He's awesome. Ronnie Stanley, Laramie Tunsil, and Anthony Costanzo in Indianapolis are the only three guys higher than David Bakhtiari right now. He's ahead of Jason Peters in Philadelphia. Um, you know, Jake Matthews, Taylor Lewan, some really good, I mean, Ryan Ramzik. He's ahead of the best of the best. He's 57th as a run blocker, though. His grade on the season is a 59.4, which, I mean, even that feels high. Brian Balaga, on the other hand, he's 11th in run blocking. Why is he so high? Let me continue on with the grade. The third highest graded player on this team. Part of the reason I love this is you got the stock market people listening like, come on, come on, please. The third highest graded player was Mercedes Lewis. Provided zero as a receiver. However, very good pass blocker. Very, very, very good run blocker. So he's starting to become what we wanted him to be. And I'm fine with that. If he is just a guy that occasionally catches one three-yard pass and just falls down because he just has nothing left as a receiver. I don't care. As long as we can count on him to be a very good pass blocker and a very good run blocker. And by the way, 22 run blocking snaps, seven pass blocking snaps. So the guy was in there almost 30 times to block, and he was very good at it. That's fine with me. As long as he's springing Aaron Jones all day, let's, let's keep doing that. The second highest graded player is Brian Balaga. Now, as a pass blocker, he graded out his average. Not his best day. As a run blocker, a 90.6. Elite run blocking grade. Dominant. Could it be because of whatever Washington had? Fine. But it it doesn't matter. David Bakhtiari was playing against Washington, too. It's probably why his pass blocking grade was so high. But the guy just can't run block. So maybe Balaga's good. But it's just... I don't know. Maybe, maybe there just isn't an answer, and, and we, we've got what we got. And maybe we just stick with, with the guys we got. You know, we'll, we'll re-sign Balaga to another year or two. Bakhtiari's not going anywhere. He's going to be getting an extension soon. Elton Jenkins in for the long haul. Billy Turner's already paid up. And maybe we just keep Corey, and I don't know, we'll just run with it. I'm just saying, you look at what Sean McVay did, he went and revamped the offensive line. You look at Kyle Shanahan, the first thing he did, revamped the offensive line. You think Matt LaFleur doesn't want to just rip up this offensive line and start? I mean, look what we did second round in his first year of being here. We went and got an offensive lineman, one that fits his scheme. Look at uh, what the Vikings did. They got an offensive coordinator who thinks the exact same way as Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, and Sean McVay. What did he do with their first round pick? Got an athletic interior offensive lineman that can get up to the next level, which again, looking at you, Corey Lindsley. Anyways, uh, number one overall player, probably not super surprising, Aaron Jones. The one thing that would probably surprise you is that um, his third best attribute was pass blocking, but it was still a very good attribute. He did a great job pass blocking. His second best attribute was as a runner. His, th- his number one attribute was as a receiver, 91.8 overall grade as a receiver. And he actually was in the passing game 17 times as opposed to running it 16 times and pass blocking twice. So that's it. Um, David Bakhtiari, Mercedes Lewis as a blocker, Brian Balaga as a run blocker, and Aaron Jones as everything. 
Bakhtiari is a pass blocker. Th- those are the only things, I-, I shouldn't say it that way. Those are the only four guys that overall graded out well, because there were other guys who did things individually kind of well. And we'll, we'll go through that quickly because there isn't that much. Um, as far as pass blocking, David Bakhtiari was on top. Jamal Williams did a good job. He was in the 80s. Elton Jenkins did another great job, although really, really bad run blocking again. And I, I keep emphasizing that because I know at the beginning of the year there was a ton of hype about how great of a run blocker he was, and we saw all the clips of him doing a great job just pushing people out of the way, and we got touchdowns because of it. He hasn't been doing a good job as a run blocker. To be clear, Elton Jenkins' overall grade is average. He's had two games in which he's had a good grade. Week 2 against Minnesota, Week 8 against Kansas City, that's it. Everything else has been average, and most of his games have been below average. Dallas, Detroit, Oakland, and then he's had two bad games, the Chargers and the Giants. Average games, Denver, Philly, Carolina, San Francisco, and now Washington. As a pass blocker, he's been great. Um, 80 overall grades against Minnesota, Denver, Oakland, Kansas City, Carolina, San Francisco, and pretty close in Washington. The problem is run blocking. The last, since week 9, 50, 57, 57, 44, 57. The guy's not doing a good job as a run blocker at all. Great pass blocker, really bad run blocker. Um, fourth on the list, Mercedes Lewis, uh, Aaron Jones did a good job. Corey Lindsley did a good enough job, 72 overall. And then you got average from Tanyan, Balaga, and Turner. So nobody was bad as a pass blocker, which is great. Although, as I said, it's not a very good pass rushing team. Uh, run blocking, it was Brian Balaga was elite. Mercedes Lewis was very good. Everybody else was average with the exception of Sternberger was below average. Bakhtiari, Vitali, Jenkins, Lazard, Tanyan and Graham were all below average. Geronimo Allison was abysmal. And I know Matt LaFleur went to great pains to talk about a couple of really good um, assists in the run game with some of these wide receivers. Difference of opinion, I suppose. Uh, specific statistics, Billy Turner gave up two sacks. Not a big surprise at this point. I just It's becoming commonplace to watch him try to block people and failing. Uh, Balaga gave up one, and Aaron Rodgers was credited with one of the sacks. Hits, uh, there were only two, and Aaron Rodgers got the blame on both of those. Hurries, Corey Lindsley gave up two. Elton Jenkins, David Bakhtiari, Brian Balaga, and Aaron Rodgers all credited with one. Total pressures, Aaron Rodgers was credited with four of his 12 total pressures. After that, Corey Lindsley, Billy Turner, Brian Balaga uh, all had two pressures. Um, And then Elton (coughs) Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari with one each. Looking specifically at Aaron Rodgers' grades a little bit closer, His grade under pressure, this was the biggest problem, was a 25. Now, his grade when he wasn't under pressure wasn't that good. It was a 72, which is good, not great. But, I mean, the statistics look fine, I guess. He's 18 of 22, which is 81.8 completion percentage. Adjusted completion percentage is 86.4. So he completed those passes, meaning at the very least they were accurate. Um, But 195 yards, 8.9 yards per attempt, one touchdown, zero interception. One of those passes was a drop but uh, converted nine first downs. But under pressure, oh my goodness. Under pressure, Aaron Rodgers was zero of six. So there wasn't a lot. I mean, he's only under pressure on 11 dropbacks, but on, on six passing attempts. He completed zero passes. He was sacked four times. One of those passes was dropped. One of those passes was a throwaway. NFL passer rating of 39.6 when under pressure. So that's not good enough. And, and again, I think a lot of that had to do with the wide receivers not getting open, right? Every time he was under pressure, he got sacked. Really? And I'm sure some of the times it's him not pulling the trigger. It's so hard to tell because, oh, look, he's open over there. Well, maybe he's not looking over there. These guys flash open for a half a second. And granted, 
if you understand the defense and you understand the offense, this is what the defense is doing, this is what our play is, you should know who's about to come open and be looking in the right direction. Again, I'm not watching, so I don't know, but he should be able to diagnose that. That's one of his biggest attributes, right? He's got a supercomputer for a brain, should be able to figure out who's about to come open here and throw the ball in the right spot. He seems to be struggling with the processing portion of this game. Uh, running the ball, you know, uh, generally the statistics. Aaron Jones, 16 of uh, uh, for 134, 8.4 average, one touchdown. He had seven first downs, five plays of his 16. So about a third of them were for 10 yards or more. That's incredible. 87 of his 134 yards came after contact, 5.44 yards after contact. If you had 5.4 yards in the whole game, that's incredible. But to have 5.44 just after contact, that's unbelievable. And also, if you think about it the other way, what if he just went down on first contact? You subtract 87 from the total. He, he really only got 47 yards, um, you know, 47 clean yards on 16 attempts. So he's got about 2.9 yards before somebody lays hands on him. But he goes and gets another 5.4 yards after contact. Longest run was 42 yards, four avoided tackles. Great day from Aaron Jones. And, man, do we need him, man. Because, you know, without a guy like Aaron Jones, we don't even beat the Redskins. And that's, that is the positive thing about this team, without trying to be too depressing here. When things go wrong, there's enough things that go right, and there's so many different things that have talent that there's enough that can go right that that's why we're 10 wins. All these problems have existed all year. We just keep winning. It's not like we were a perfect team against Kansas City, but we found a way to win. We weren't perfect against Dallas. We weren't perfect against Chicago. We weren't perfect against Minnesota. We found ways to win the game, whether it's the defense stepping up, the pass rush, the running game, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae, Alan Lazard, Jay Kumaro. Somebody's going to step up in just the amount of way. Kevin King, right? Somebody, doesn't matter how good or how bad they are, they find a way to step up in the right time, and they find a way to win the game, which, by the way, is a Super Bowl-caliber attribute. Find a way to win. doesn't matter about better or worse. It matters about find a way to win. And when we get to Chicago, it's just about find a way to win. Somebody's got to step up. You know, when Aaron Jones has a down day, Jamal Williams steps up. It's stuff like that. Um, as far as receiving, Aaron Jones was our number one receiver. Seven targets, which was the highest. Six receptions, which was the highest by a good margin. 58 yards, which was the highest. Um, only 9.7 yards per reception, but 45 yards after the catch. His longest scamper was 25 yards, converted two first downs, so... What did I say? Seven on the ground, so about nine first downs he got by himself. That's incredible. The next highest receiving grade was a 70 even, which was to Jimmy Graham, who actually did seemingly have a pretty decent day. Um, He was open quite a bit and just got missed. He was open a few other times and got some passes. So he was uh, uh, three of five for 49 yards, 16.3 average. Longest was also 25 and also converted two first downs and avoided one tackle. Robert Tanyan was the next highest graded guy, and basically it was a good grade. Again, average overall, but as far as a receiver, they gave him the the good nod. It was 69.8, but we'll round up. Only one target, only one reception, but it was a 12-yard touchdown. Uh, 156.3 was his passer rating, which kind of goes to show why passer rating isn't that great of a metric. Our fourth best receiver, which is extremely problematic, is Devontae Adams. Four of six for 41 yards. Biggest issue is that he had a drop, right? So he was targeted six times caught four of them, dropped one, and one was a bad throw. But overall receiving grade of a 62, which is flat average. 86.1 passer rating, 13 yards after the catch. I mean, nothing super overwhelmingly great there. Uh, Alan Lazard, a guy that we've come to count on when things aren't really working too well. And I think, I, you know, there was a, I think that Ben Fennel play, that was one where he was coming open, although I don't think there was an opportunity to hit him. But either way, he didn't produce quite as much as we had hoped. Um, 
Three targets, two receptions, only 19 yards. Geronimo Allison now we're getting into the below average category. One target, one reception for 11 yards. Jay Sternberger, one target, zero receptions. Jamal Williams, one target, zero receptions. Mercedes Lewis was actually graded in the 40s, had one target, one reception for five yards. And then the absolute lowest was Danny Vitale, one target, one drop, and that's it. And apparently that Jay Sternberger throw for a touchdown was bad enough that PFF did not call that a drop because they didn't credit him with one. I know it was an errant throw, and they have very specific guidelines on how far away from the body it is. You know, the problem being it, you know, it was a bad throw, but I think it was Jace was supposed to stay and he was moving, whatever. I, I don't know. But either way, nobody was really that good as a receiver outside of Aaron Jones. Anyways, why don't we take a quick break and we'll look at the defense, uh, well, quickly because I got to get going here. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So the defense really wasn't much better. Um, it, it was a little bit, but it was just a, a I guess the difference is even the average was kind of high average with a lot of really high points and just some low points. So it's, it's a little bit better news. But again, let's start with the bad news. There were one, two, three, four, five players that were, uh, you know, I guess, below average, uh, two of which were actually bad. The two bad players, B.J. Goodson and Kyler Fackrell. Don't need that from Kyler, especially after I've just been bragging you up, dude. Let's go. Making me look dumb. Uh, the three that were below average, Ibrahim Campbell, Rashawn Gary, and Tremont Williams. Three other guys that I've been bragging up. So I'm just not going to talk good about anybody anymore. I'm just going to call you all a bunch of bums, and we'll see how that works out. But um, in, in all seriousness, Tremont, the most troubling thing there is he kind of, you know, I, I like the arrangement of Jair and Tremont outside, and let's stick... Chandon in the slot and that's what we'll do and it'll work out great. PFF is throwing up warning flags saying you know what Tremont's worst game this year is the one time he was taken out of the slot role so it's kind of like all right I guess we'll push him back in there I don't know but as far as guys that were pretty good I'll actually start with number seven it's a 69.9 we'll call it a 70 and it's Mr. Josh Jackson. Super small sample size again but you might remember this happened um, once before. Josh Jackson played eight snaps in week 13 against the Giants, and he actually did a really good job. He had a 76.7 coverage grade and a 76.7 tackling grade with a 76.6 overall grade, which I don't know how that makes sense because it's the only two grades that they have there. But one target, one reception for six yards. The very next week against Washington, they give him 26 opportunities. He was out there actually quite a bit. One target, one reception for one yard. I didn't even know he was out there, which is exactly how you know he did a good job. So, you know, he hasn't been good for the last two years, but he's a second-round pick, and he's played pretty solid two weeks in a row. Granted, it's the Giants and the Redskins, but it's it's worth noting, especially with Kevin King out and needing to understand what to do. And if we're going to put Tremont inside and Chandon's more of a slot guy slash safety guy, you know, strong safety slot guy, the question is who goes on the boundary with Jair? Well, the team would love nothing more for it to be than for it to be Josh Jackson. Is he ready? I don't know, but whatever. It would be just the best news ever if Josh Jackson actually was becoming the corner that we wanted him to be. And again, it's been two weeks of him being pretty solid. Um, Above him, Preston Smith, the guy I went all in on, he just had a 70 even, so I didn't make a ton of money. Um, Despite the five pressures, 
which tied for the lead in the team. He only had a 64.9 overall pass rush grade. He had a poor tackling grade. Just everything was pretty average and with a poor tackling grade, but still made a little bit of money on it. Uh, Kenny Clark with a 72. I know that seems disappointing. He should have had a 90. Well, it's because he had a very, very good pass rush grade, but was just bad in everything else, which has been Kenny Clark's thing. His resurgence to being great on this team again, and everyone's super excited, is entirely based on him being a good pass rusher. He has not contributed much at all as a run defender. Uh, Tyler Lancaster back up at on the top. Good to see him back up here. He's really solid toward the beginning of the year. I haven't said his name in a while. Real good run defender. That's just what he is. It's what he does, and it's what we need. Uh, number three, very exciting, Mr. Darnell Savage. 76 overall grade, uh, very good tackling grade, average run defense grade, and a good coverage grade. I had mentioned how Darnell Savage started the year real hot, um, you know, 70, 70, 70, and then drifted between week four and week 12. His two best games of the year of his NFL career have been the last two weeks. Again, Giants in Washington, but whatever. And what's, what's Aaron Rodgers' excuse? You don't have to play good just because it's not a great team. Best two weeks of Darnell Savage's career have come the last two weeks. That's great news to me. Josh Jackson and Darnell Savage stepping up. I like it. The second highest grade, which might surprise you that he's not number one, is Zadarius Smith with an 89.5 grade elite. The really surprising thing is he only had three pressures, zero sacks, zero hits, only three hurries. Obviously, he was everywhere all over the field. But he only had a 70 pass rush grade. He had a 74 tackling grade, which is good. I mean, that's that's good and good. He had an 87.4 run defense grade. See, and, th- and this is what I was talking about yesterday. You got these big guys, and this is what this is what Mike Pettin wants, these big guys that are good pass rushers but also really help in the run game. Now, they haven't been as good, especially Preston, who that was like his main attribute when he came over here. But they have this level of ability because they're just monsters. They're not smaller, speedy pass rush guys that just get thrown around by tight ends. These are guys you got to dedicate some muscle to if you want to push them out of the way in the run game. And so Zadarius Smith, once again dominant, gets another elite grade. But the, the highest graded player on this entire team um, is another guy that's been stepping up in a big way, and that's Mr. Adrian Amos. And it was entirely because of his coverage. There was nothing really wrong with run defense tackling or pass rush, pretty much average across the board. But his coverage grade was borderline elite which isn't super surprising considering the guy had a pick and a pass breakup um, on just two targets. Two targets, one reception, one interception, one pass breakup, which the only way that really makes... Well, there's, there's two ways that makes sense. One is that you're counting an interception as a pass breakup, which I don't think is what you're doing because that doesn't make a lot of sense. They should be separate statistics. The other is that you are targeted twice and the interception wasn't on one of your targets. That would be the way that that would make sense. But uh, looking at the individual categories... Run defense, unfortunately, really just one guy that did a solid job, and that was Zadarius. Tyler also did a pretty good job, um, a, a decent amount of average. But here's the guys that did poorly in run defense. Ibrahim Campbell, Kyler Fackrell, Chandon Sullivan, B.J. Goodson, Rashawn Gary was bad, Tremont was bad, Blake Martinez was abysmal. I mean, you know, that's what it is. Worst run defender on the team is our flubbing linebacker tackling again some of these guys are really getting better some of these guys just will just refuse to get better at this so Blake was very good Ibrahim was very good Darnell Savage was very good Chandon was good BJ was good Jair was good which is great because he's been terrible every week Zadarius was good Tyler was good Adrian Amos was good Kingsley was pretty good and then from there it just goes to Tremont was bad Kenny was bad Preston was bad Gary was terrible Dean and Kyler were abysmal tackling guys come on 
I mean, we're 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 creeping up on the playoffs here. This we can't get much later. Fundamental stuff like tackling. Come on now, Rashawn. Let's go, dude. All the I mean, he is the Tasmanian Devil. You watch him play. He is so hungry to contribute. He's violent. He's fast. He's quick. But it's just a lot of flashy movement. And when it comes down to all right, he's right there. Get him. That's where the the mis- the disconnect comes. I mean, you're bigger. You're faster. You're stronger than the guy across from you. But I mean, get the quarterback. That's that's the deal. That's what we're dealing with here. Pass rush, number one, very good, Kenny Clark. Other guys with good grades, Blake Martinez, Chandon Sullivan, Adrian Amos, and Zadarius Smith. Below average, Tremont, Tyler, Montravius, Ibrahim Campbell, uh, Dean Lowry, and the only bad grade was Kyler Fackrell. Again, the one guy I'm bragging up about how good of a pass rusher he is. He has his worst game of the year, so cool. Then coverage, we had two very goods. Adrian Amos, again, borderline elite. Blake Martinez was actually very good. Um, Darnell Savage was good. Josh Jackson was good. Uh, Chandon was high average. Jair was mid-average. Ibrahim was average. Preston was average. Kyler was poor. Tremont and Kenny Clark were poor, which, I mean, Kenny Clark, he, he dropped into coverage three times. So, I mean, that's that's crazy. And he only had a 53.6. So I'm, I'm calling that a good day for Kenny. Dude was almost average in three coverage snaps. Calling that a, that's a stud right there. You can tell they were getting exotic, too. Look at all the guys. That, I mean, Kenny Clark dropped three times. Kyler dropped six times. Preston dropped three times. Mixing it up a little bit. Uh, looking at the pressure counts, Kenny Clark and Preston each had five total. Kenny with two sacks. Preston with one sack. Sedarius had three pressures, all hurries. Rashawn Gary, which, you know, he didn't he didn't grade out all that bad as a pass rush. His worst problems were run defense and tackling. The fact of the matter is he, he rushed the passer four times. He got to the quarterback once. That's 25%. Now, granted, small sample size, it doesn't super count, but on four attempts, if you get there once, that's impressive. Of course, it was a hurry because, God forbid, the guy ever get a sack to silence people. No, he, as long as he doesn't show up on the stat sheet so that people like Adam can continue screaming at me. Um, you know, everybody's happy, apparently, except for me, who has to keep defending the guy that refuses to show up on the stat sheet. And then Adrian Amos had one pressure, which was a sack, so kudos to him. That was the extent of that. The missed tackle list, because why not? Rashawn, Dean Lowry, Kyler Fackrell, Kenny Clark, Adrian Amos, Preston Smith, Tremont Williams all missed one tackle. Looking at coverage, Jair and Blake were each targeted six times. Jair only gave up two receptions on six attempts uh, for 23 yards. Didn't have any touchdowns, interceptions, pass breakups, but hey, Give me two of six for 23 yards every single day of the week, and I could care less what your PFF grade is, man. Could not care any less. Blake Martinez, five of six were caught, 46 yards, and he had a pass breakup in there. So kudos to him on that one. Chandon, three of five for 24 yards. Again, I will take that any and all days of the week. Darnell Savage, two of two for 43 yards and a touchdown. How the guy had a high grade, I don't know. He must have done some really awesome stuff outside of that. Second highest amount of yards given up and the only one to give up a touchdown, but okay. Adrian Amos, targeted twice, only one reception. We already went over this, but that was for 11 yards. Josh Jackson, one target, one reception for one yard. Kyler Fackrell, one reception on one target for 14 yards. Ibrahim Campbell, one target, zero receptions. And then Tremont Williams, one target, one reception for eight yards. Again, I don't care what your PFF grade is. If this is what the DBs give me, which... Primarily, we're blaming this, I guess, on the quarterback, maybe. I mean, it's, it's it's entirely possible you're getting burned all day and the quarterback just doesn't throw it to you, doesn't see it, whatever. But again, I at the end of the day, all that matters is points. And a, a subset of that is largely dependent on, you know, statistics, yards. If this is what you give me, I'm happy. I don't care how you get it. 
Just just show me this, and I could not care less that you got a 66.9 coverage grade, Jair. Two of six for 23 yards, stud. Maybe he beats you on every single route. The quarterback's just terrible. Don't care. Two of six for 23 yards is all I hear. Kudos to Jair. Greatest of all history. Uh, quickly, special teams, the only guy that stood out, Mr. Will Redmond. Talking about um, blocking and tackling. Guy that stood out, one guy stood out in the negative, that's Hunter Bradley. Not his first time on that list, so come on, big guy. Let's stop being terrible at stuff. Kicking grades, Mason was above average. J.K. Scott, once again, below average, because, you know, that's another thing that just, the dog won't hunt, man. I don't know. Just, got to just keep kicking it. Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think the, the biggest issue and, and look, at the end of the day, he's trying to pin it inside the 20. I don't know the, the protocol for that. My thought is, and maybe if you kick it super high, you lose accuracy, right? If you think about it, if you're, if you're kicking it as hard as you can, because the idea is we want to kick it because, okay, let me back up. We were punting from like the 50. So he's not going to have a lot of really long punts. His yards per attempt were 40.3, but if you're kicking from the 40 or the 50, 40 yards is not a bad kick. Three of his four were inside the 20, which really is the only thing that matters in that. The thing that bothers me is the hang time of 3.83. But again, that probably shouldn't bother me because I don't know that booming it straight up in the air is what we're necessarily looking for. If you're just trying to kick it out of bounds, you're looking for accuracy. And I think if you're kicking it straight up and trying to get it to fall down perfectly somewhere, it's not going to work. So I don't think yards or hang time are really what he's after. I think it's just accuracy is what you're after in that situation. And again, three of four inside the 20... I feel like that's accurate. So again, whatever. PFF grade, be what it is. I don't, I don't know. Only one return for six yards. I don't, I don't see that as a negative, I guess. Finally, return grades, Mr. Tyler Irvin with a 61.6 grade, which is average, which is going to upset a lot of people. But number one, he didn't really do anything all that spectacular. And number two, special teamers generally just get average grades because they don't do very much. But four returns, 51 yards, 12.8 average which is pretty good for a punt return, I would think. But again, I think most of that is just how much buffer area there was before somebody got to him. I don't think he made anybody miss. He just kind of ran forward until somebody tackled him, which again, it's an art that we have yet learned to master. So props to Tyler Irvin for learning the art of running forward. Anyways, that's it. That's all I got. It's relatively bad news, but um, you know, it's just a matter of are they going to fix it, right? If the passing game doesn't get going, this was this is kind of the end of the story. This is how it ends, and it's going to end in just a disaster to where we're fighting to even get in the playoffs because we lose to the Bears and we lose to the Vikings and we're trying not to lose to the Lions. Or we get it figured out, we crush the Bears, we shock the world and beat the Vikings, we destroy the Lions, we get home field advantage, nobody can beat us at home, we march into the Super Bowl. Burn. There's, there's maybe a little bit of in-between between those two extremes, but I'm just going to hang out there, and we're going to say that those are the only two options. Either or fallacy be darned. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.